I'm going to mute myself. Okay. So um, we're going to talk about Parshas Shazria and Sarah. I would like to, tonight's share is dedicated in memory of Kaila Bas Yishaya, um, Kaila Bas Chaya, Chana or Chaya? Chana. Chaya. Chaya. who is Kalabas Chaya. Um, yeah, okay. Uh, so I want to share with you an idea from the Urbiruchim quotes from the, from the Ramam. Um, sorry, I didn't realize I wasn't on my video. Um, so sorry, the lighting here is not the best, but okay. So an idea from the Ramam uh, that it's, it's easy to say that something's famous if you know it yourself, but if other people haven't heard it, it's perhaps not so famous. The Ramam in the Muranavuchim, the Ramam in his Guide to the Perplexed, writes a, a very fascinating idea. He says that the language that we refer to, our language that we refer to as Lashon HaKodesh, why is it, why is it Lashon HaKodesh? What, what's Kadosh? What is holy about that language? So the way the Ramam says it in the Mara is as follows. The Ramam says, since the most basic fun functions of the human being don't actually have real words in Lashon HaKodesh, there, is no, there, uh, there are no terms to describe those functions. That is why, the, the reason, that, that is why Lashon HaKodesh, that is why it's called Lashon HaKodesh. It is Lashon HaKodesh because those words don't exist in that language. The Ramban, Nachmanides, takes issue with that Rambam. But Rabbi Yerucham points out that this Rambam needs to be studied perhaps a little more closely. There's, there's, there's something here that is being taught to us that the Rambam is trying to get across that is perhaps a little deeper than what it appears on the surface. <clears throat> so Rabbi Yerucham says it like this. He says, if you take a look at the parshios that we've been engaged in, the parshios in the Torah that we've been engaged in these past couple of weeks, Parsha Shmini, Parsha Sezria, Parsha Smetzora, they talk about Simone Toma and Simone Tahara, signs of things that are, are pure and signs of things that are impure. In other words, there are animals that have, that have certain, certain Simonim, that have certain indicators, if you will, that tell us that this animal is impure, that you shouldn't be eating this animal. And there are certain simonim that tells this animal is a pure animal. So behemoth tahira, it's a pure animal, or it is one that is that a person is allowed to eat from that animal. There are certain uh, blemishes that occur in whether it's in clothing or it's in a house or it's in the person that tell us that indicate something about that person. We call them simone toma and simone tahara. Rebbe says, if you look carefully, if you understand what's going on over here, what you see is, when you think of the word simon, a sim, simon means like a sign for something. Like, you're driving down the highway, and there's a sign that says Pawtucket. So when you pass that sign for Pawtucket, right, it doesn't mean, and says, you know, Pawtucket in this direction, that's an indicator where you're going to find Pawtucket. When the Torah says that something has simone tuma and simone tahara, the Torah is not telling us that's indicative of the fact that, oh, if you do this, you will find that. 
it's that these realities, these uh, these uh, um, qualities or qualifications or what, that these things have define that thing as being what it is. This animal, it has split hooves and it chews the cud. It's a kosher animal. It's a tahar. It's a pure animal. This animal does as shoretz al arba crawls around on four on, on its on four on its four legs and has four legs. It's a sheretz. It's a it's something that is tummy. By the way, it's interesting. Most things in the world are either tummy or they're tahar. They are what they are. They're fixed in whatever their dim, dimension is. You have certain types of animals that are tame. You have certain types of animals that are tahar. Certain fish. That are ta- that are tame, that are that are impure, and certain fish that are that are tar. The only one who transitions back and forth between tuma and tahara is a human being. Food also, the things that come in contact with human beings, perhaps you could talk about also, but but essentially the only thing that goes back and forth between tuma and tahara is a person. Because a person is constantly moving, a person constantly changing, a person's constantly growing. He's sometimes he's connected to tuma, sometimes he is. You know, it's it's perhaps politically incorrect. You know, like when we when we when we're parenting, we say you don't tell the child you're a bad child or you're that you're a you're a you're a troublesome child or you're a chutzpah. Your behavior is chutzpahdik. It's outside of you, but but the Torah is telling you that no, there are certain things that define us. They define what we are. They they tell us what the reality of what this is. It's a it's it's a description of something. This is something which is tame. The simonim indicate to me not they're not indicators that there are there's a possibility of tuma here or that there's something tuma that's tame that's attached to it. It's an indication of what its essence is. It is a something which is tame. When the Rambam says that lashon hakodesh is a lashon of kedusha, is a language of holiness. He, because it's missing these words, because it doesn't have these statements contained within it, the Ram is telling you. The Ram is not telling you that that's an, that's an indicator. What the Ram is saying is there's 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 language which is kadosh. There's language which is holy, and there's language which is not holy. This is a language which is holy. It's not it's not an indicator of something that connects to holiness. It actually is holy. It is. There's something about it that's transformative. The implications of that for us are that there are times, there are things, there are behaviors, there are activities, there are things that we talk about, there are things that we engage in, there are ways in which we modes, in which we dress, which they're not simply, they don't just lead us down a certain path, but they actually speak to the essence of what we are. They become who we are. They become what we're, what, what we're being. That is a... Just like a language that doesn't contain certain words that have negative connotations or not negative connotations, but base connotations that are too, that are so physical, so animalistic that they don't connect to what we are as human beings. Like the, like the, the Ramam says in another place, a person stands upright because his, his body is simply a clee, it's simply a vessel that holds the, the, the soul. And because the soul is the dominant part of the body, it's pulling you upwards. Everything always wants to go back to its source. 
So if a person stands upright, it's because his neshama is pulling him upright to go up towards the shamayim back to where it's sourced from. An animal crawls around on all fours because an animal comes from the earth. He is he's made of, his, his essence is something which is, which is physical, is the, the pure physicality, and he's drawn down to the earth. But deeper than that is that the, the essence of what the language is, it expresses a reality, which is holiness. It expresses a reality that w- of what we're connected to. And that is what we're ultimately are trying to express. When we talk about Simone Toma and Simone Tahara in the Torah, we're saying, what kind of person do you want to be? Not what kind of person, not what's the path that will lead you along or what's the direction that's going to, what, what is the essence that you express? What comes out of you? Who are you? What, what, what's your whole being? What's your, your very essence? Is it Kedusha? Is it holiness? Is it something that's above and beyond, that's apart from this world, that's choosing to be elevated? Or is it tumma? Is it something that's 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 connected only to the earth and connected to the ground and doesn't have that ability to be to, to be transcendent? That's what a person's what, that's what a person's ultimately is striving to express. I want to express from within myself what am I really? What what do I really want to be? That's the that's what the simane tumma and simane tahara of the parsha are all about. There, what are the, what's the inner essence that's expressed? The person who is a Masaper Lashon Hara, the person who is a speaker of Lashon Hara, as we know, that the Parsha of Metzorah, the, the Simonim of the Simonim Metzorah come for who? The, ter, the Chazal Tons, they come, the Aramis teach us, they're for Gasei Haruach, people who are arrogant, and people who are Masaper Lashon Hara, people who speak Lashon Hara, who speak negatively. But when you speak that way, you develop Simone Tuma. That means your inner essence expresses itself as something which is Tame. Which is impure. It's something that it's it's not it's not external to yourself. It's not a behavior that's outside of you. It's what you are. That and that's that's really what the what the Ramah is trying to express with 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 lashon hakodesh. It's called lashon hakodesh because the language itself is not the type of language that expresses kedusha. The language itself is the language of kedusha. It's the language of holiness, and therefore it hasn't has no connection to the more to the more physical elements and more physical dimensions. The, the Rabbi Rucham has a, a, another idea here that I want to just share with you in, with regard to the parsha of, um, of, of Masapri Lashon Hara, of speaking Lashon Hara, and the result of what Lashon Hara really is as it expresses itself in terms of our very essence. Um, that, is, that is fascinating. Um, this, is, this is a well-known idea. It's a well-known medrash. But but Rabbi Rucham just puts just a little twist on it that is that it, that is truly just very very insightful. The Medrash says there was a certain Tana I can't I don't I don't remember the name of the Tana who heard a man a rochel a, a peddler going around who was saying I have an elixir for life I have a potion that will give you long life who wants to buy my potion that will give you long life so this Tana where I forget what his name was I think it was Rabbi Yona, says, I, I'm, I'm interested, I'm interested in your potion, let me have it. He says, the, 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 the merchant's like, uh, it's not meant for you. It's not, it's, it's not, it doesn't, it's not, it's not going to be meaningful for you at all. You don't, you don't need this or anything like it. So Rabiona ex- insists and he pushes and he pushes and the final says, okay, fine. You want it, I'll show it to you. He takes out a Sefer Tehillim, right? The, it's a, the Sefer Tehillim, and he reads him the Pasuk from David Amalek. For, right, it says, 
who is a person who desires life. Guard your tongue from speaking evil, right? And your lips from saying saying murmurings or, or, or evil things, negative things about things, right? Stay away from evil and do only good. He says, what do you need that for? You already know all this. You know the Pasuk and Tehillim. You know, Rabbi Yonah says, no, you, you have revealed a whole new dimension to me that I didn't know before. You've revealed a whole new dimension. So Rabbi Yonah says, what, what was the new dimension that was revealed to Rabbi Yonah that he didn't know? We didn't know the Pasuk and Tehillim. Of course he knew all Pasuk and Tehillim. But what it's saying is this. You would think when you read the Pasuk and Tehillim, the simple way of reading the Pasuk and Tehillim is, so who wants life? And he loves, he wants, to, he wants to, his life to be very positive. Then Hashem will be close to you because, because you do all of these, you do all of these right things. Says the Rabbi Yonah, he says like this, but this person who comes to me and he says, here's an elixir for life. Here's a potion for living. He's taking that to a whole new level. It's not just, it's not a quid pro quo. It's not you do this and then you get that. It's, it's a whole different way of looking at it. It's the reality of a person's having a good life is a person who guards itself from speaking evil. To hear, let me try to say this difference very clearly over here. One is to understand that it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's an action and a consequence. You do this, you get that in return. Hashem, you do, you do this, and Hashem gives you this in return. That's when I read the Pasuk simply. But when this person comes and walks around and he's saying, who wants, who wants a long life? I'll give you an elixir for life. He's telling him, this is a reality that expresses itself openly, immediately as you live it. You will live life if you don't speak Lashon Hara. You will live life if you don't talk negatively about other people. You will be, you will exist on a whole different plane. Understand, we understand that Lashon Hara isolates a person. Lashon Hara drives a person out. Lashon Hara pushes a people in, out, out of their, the orbit. It doesn't allow people to interact with one another. You want to have a real kesher, a real connection to somebody else? It's not a reward and a con. It's not an action and a consequence. It's a, it's, it's simply the reality, the reality of living. It's the, it's an expression of how we are. Those people that don't speak Lashon Hara, they live a whole different reality. They, they associate with people. They connect with people on a whole different, in a whole different way. That's not, not, not usual. That's, uh, that's unusual <clears throat> and transcendent and allows them to function very differently. The Chafetz Chaim, when you wrote his Sefer, Chafetz Chaim was a very young man. The Chafetz Chaim is, is a, <clears throat> he was a very young man when he wrote it. The Chavetz Chaim, you should just know, just as background for them to tell you, to share with you this, this fascinating insight. But the Chavetz Chaim was, was a Kohen. He was very proud of the fact he was a Kohen. His name was, was Yisrael Meir Kagan. Yisrael Meir Kagan, which is the Kagan is the same thing as, as Kohen. Most, I mean, most people who are Kagan, I believe Mrs. Giver's father also is a Kagan. It's the same name. It's, it's that, 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 was, that, that means Kohen. That, that for the, that's a family of Kohen. In fact, the Chafetz Chaim wrote a whole sefer on doing on Kohanim's doing the halachas of Kohanim doing the avoda in the Beis Hamikdash because he believed everybody every Kohen had to be prepared to go serve in the Beis Hamikdash. But when he was a very young man, what he worked on very very diligently was lashon hara. That was his thing, and he wrote a sefer. He called it Chafetz Chaim based on this pasuk. Miyash Chafetz Chaim of Yom Nerus 
when you went for Haskama on the Sefer, when you went, what happens is a person writes a book, so then he needs approbations from great rabbis to say that this is a book that's worthwhile, that he's worthy of being able to, that, he, that he's worthy of publishing such a book. So when he went for his initial approbation on this book, so the first person that he went to didn't really want, wasn't sure that he wanted to give him a haskama. It's a very lofty ideals that the Chavetzheim talks about, about how to guard yourself and how to, how to be careful about what you say, etc. He wasn't so sure that he, he was going to be so quick to sign on, like, who's this guy anyway that's writing this, 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 this whole treatise on, on how a person should speak. So he told a couple of his Talmidim, he said, engage this young man who came to me for, for, for an approbation on his book, engage him in conversation. I want you to engage him in conversation. Because if you engage him in conversation, I want you to see if he lives up to the ideals that he espouses in his book. I want you to engage in conversation. First, you'll talk to him in Torah, and then you'll talk to him about more worldly matters. You'll talk to him about things, problems that there are in the Jewish world and how we can solve them, etc., and what we can do about them. By the way, if you want to know an etza as, as a, 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 a suggestion or just a, an, an in a way in which one can avoid Lashon Hara, listen to this fantastic idea that I heard not so long ago. It says, small people talk about people. Bigger people talk about events. Great people talk about ideas. Small people talk about people. Bigger people talk about events. They don't want to talk about people, so they talk about things that happened, you name memories, this and that, right? But it's usually, it's usually that... That's better than talking about people, but it's usually not so productive. You're talking about things in the past. You're not, you know, you're not really great. People talk about ideas. They talk about about big ideas and things, how they're going to affect the world, how they're going to change and affect change in the world. It's a it's a fascinating idea. It's a very it's a tremendous model. I I was telling I was giving I was talking to a group of people a little earlier, <clears throat> telling them. I had, a, I had a teacher who, unfortunately, this year was Nifter, not so much a teacher. I mean, he was a teacher, too, but more, more of a mentor um, that I was very close to in Baltimore. His name was uh, Sheftel Neuberger. He was Nifter right before, right before Yamtev. He was, he was Nifter right, before, right, before, right, right around Purim time. <laughs> he, was, he was a phenomenal, phenomenal person. He was an amazing conversationalist. He could talk to you on any topic under the sun. Whatever you wanted to talk about, he was knowledgeable about it. I, you know, maybe if you want to talk to me about engineering, I'm not so sure how. But, if, if, you know, going from, from, from the subway system in New York and what were the best directions to get around New York to the train schedule in Los Angeles to any political historical event that was going on, etc., he was he had his finger on everything. He had his finger on the pulse of everything. His father, Chef Naftali Neuberger, was very involved in, 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 in behind the scenes politics for the, good, for the good of the Jewish people. And was constantly involved in things like, you know, rescuing the Iranian Jews and bringing Jews out of Russia and bringing Jews from, from, from South America, doing cure for, cure for Jews in South America. Shafta was the logistics man. He had his finger on pulsing. You never sat around his table and didn't have a stimulating, fascinating conversation. He was, he, had a, he was a beautiful Balmanagin. He had a beautiful voice. He could sing beautifully. He always entertained. He always, you know, he, would, he was a phenomenal, an amazing Baltfila. He would make you, I mean, 
I, to this day, I, my Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur are still the tunes that I heard him sing for many years in Yeshiva. The tunes that he would sing in the, that he, that he, as a Baal they still resonate in my head every single time I daven Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. It was just, he was unbelievable in that way. But he never, ever talked about people. Ne- you never engage in a conversation with him that was about people. It just didn't happen. He just, that just wasn't who he was. He talked about ideas. He talked about things. He talked about places. He talked to, he could talk to you about, but never, ever talked about people. He was just, it wasn't like, and by the way, the, the really amazing thing was he always had a Dvar Torah to say. And many times a Dvar Torah was something that he'd heard from this great person or that great person. He was very, he was, um, he grew up in a home where where many of the greatest Talmud Chacham and many of the greatest sages of the generation used to come through his house. His uncle was Rabbi, Rabbi Ruderman, who was the Rosh Hashiva in Baltimore, and Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky was a cousin, and Rabbi Aaron Cutler was a cousin, and all the Rosh Hashivas in, in Eretz Yisrael were cousins. You know, he's related to the whole, to all of the aristocracy, if you will, of the Jewish world. He's very comfortable with them. He was very comfortable with regular people. He just... He loved people and he loved to say divrei Torah. He'd say over with the same excitement something that he heard from uh, from a gadol adar. He would say from uh, from his from his uh, his ten year old grandson. He'd say a, a Torah from his ten year old grandson. He just he was just like that. But that, that the, but the point was you could have a conversation with him. So these this r- rabbi sent his students. I'm going back. I uh, got a little carried away there on a tangent. Back into back to back to focusing on the chafetz chaim. Right, he sent his students to go have a conversation with the Chafetz Chaim. Go talk to this Yisrael Mayor Kagan. Engage him in conversation. Talk to Rey Torah with him. And then talk to him about the problems of the world and see what, what he talks about. Let's see how he behaves when push comes to shove, when he's actually in six hours of conversation. They couldn't get him to say one word of even avak Lashon Hara, even the most hint of something that was Lashon Hara. He said, when, when he's able to see that, that he's a person that he's worked on his speech, that he doesn't talk about anything, no matter what's going on, no what's coming, that, that's a person you could give on a scholar to. Similarly, you know, a similar story they said about the same, the same idea. He went once to a Rav, another Rav at the same at that time for a scholar on the Sefer. And the Rav said, no, I'm not giving you a scholar. The very tough, you know, hard, you know, Lithuanian, typical Lithuanian, uh, you know, type of approach. No, not giving it to you. So Chavetz Chaim was leaving. He was walking out of the door. He's walking down the street. He looks a little dejected. Right? And the Av Bezdin, the one of the Dayanim on the Bezdin, meets him in the street. And he says to him, what's, the, what's going on? He says, well, I came to town. I came on a special trip. I wanted to get Askama my safer. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to get it. The, the, the Dayan starts to say, yeah, that Rav, he's really a tough guy. I mean, he's really. And Chavetz Chaim wouldn't hear from it. He's like, I don't want to talk about it. He didn't want to, he must have his reasons. He must have had a reason. Maybe he felt that the safer was too strong like this, or maybe he, he must have had a reason why he don't, I'm not, you know, I have no, the Dayan was so impressed. He went running to the Rav to tell him, you know, I just met this person that you refused to give Askama to. And he wouldn't say one bad word about the fact that you didn't give him Askama. He wasn't, what, he, as disappointed as he was, he wouldn't talk about it. He, the, you have to live what you believe in, you have to, it has to become a part of you and it has to be so much so that, and so in the, obviously in the, the, again, you know, when the Chavetz Chaim is able to do that, so it turned, they turn it around and they, they bring it back to him and they say, of course, we're going to give you a Haskama. Of course, we're going to, we're, we're going to, we're going to tell to you. I want to share with you just two more ideas that, that, that go that, that are an outgrowth 
of this type of character development, one leads to the other, I believe, and, and, and then try to wrap it up just as this whole idea of, of a person's who we are, what we speak becomes what we are. It's not just, it's not, they're not, it's not external to ourselves. It, it becomes the simonim, the simonim, the signs of what we are grow out of us. They, they're just an, an expression of what's inside of us. And we need to, it's something we need to train and pay attention to and work on. That's really, and what's really the avoda, that's really what the work of what Musser is really all about is working on the inner dimension, be focusing on ourselves so that we can become better people. You can't hear something without paying attention, without listening with your ears. You can't see something unless you open your eyes and you look at it. You can't transform who you are unless you work on who your inner self is. There's a pasuk in, in Parshas Mitzorah that Rabbi Yerucham stops on and points out a very fascinating lesson. The pasuk says that when a person is calling the Kohen, he says, he's, the expression that he says to him is, Kanega nira libabais. Kanega, it looks like, it's like an appearance of a nega. There's an appearance of a, this blemish that has appeared on my house. I'd like you to come and evaluate it. That's what a person says to the Kohen. Rashi on that pasuk says, that even if a person is a tremendous Talmud Kacham, even if a person is a scholar of no, he knows all the halachos inside and out, he should always teach himself, he should always train himself to say things not in a language of express things of, you know, we're, sometimes in, in, in our society, we're trained to be confident, project confidence. You have to project a sense of knowledge and well-being and an understanding. I was reading, I was, I was fascinating. I was reading, a, I was reading, a, you know, now I'm, my life is a social worker. So I was reading a sociology book, um, this, this, this lady, and there was, the, the, you know, the, the, the Talmud tells us, Chachma Bagayim Tamin, which she talks about, is this, the author is um, this woman, Brene Brown. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of her, but she's apparently a very, very well, well, she's, she's, a, she's a fascinating author. A researcher, and she writes that you know we live in a world now, our world, and she's she's writing in 2016. She's writing this, and I think it's even more so in 2021. Right? We live in echo chambers. We talk, and Dr. Lukens is here. He talked about this as well. We we do everything in silos. People who are quote unquote conservative, they listen to conservative news shows, conservative talk shows, conservative opinions. People who are liberal or more liberal or what they were someone want to call it left-leaning so they listen to 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 liberal talk show hosts and liberal news shows nobody wants to listen to what anybody else is saying and if they are listening to what anybody else is saying they're only listening in order to argue this Brene Brown says she says she attributes it to fear so we're so afraid of being wrong so afraid of to confront a different opinion than our own we go into these silos, into these echo chambers where we only want to listen to the opinions that are reflective of, our, of what we have to say. And more than that, we, 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 are, we become experts on everything. And we have an opinion about everything. Even if something that we know nothing about, we'll express an opinion about it and then we'll defend it to the death. We'll, there, you know, there's, no, there's no sense of being open to the fact that perhaps... I'm not, uh, perhaps I'm not, I, I don't really know what that's all about. Um, it's, it, it's, it's, uh, it's a fascinating insight and there's, there's a lot of truth to it. There's a lot of truth, I believe there's a lot of truth to what she's saying. 
But listen to what listen to what the Torah tells us. The Torah tells us It looks like a nega. I'm not sure. Even if I am sure, the Talmud tells you, teach your tongue, train yourself to speak not in absolutes. Don't speak, don't say you know something absolutely. Even if you think you do know it absolutely, even if you're 100% sure that you are absolutely right, you're not, you don't have to let the world know that you're absolutely right. A friend of mine, I think I've told this to you before, a friend of mine once told me, he said something very wise. When, when you study in the, in the yeshiva, you usually study with a study partner. You're, 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 you're bouncing your ideas off somebody else. So you have your idea about how to read that, that particular line or particular whatever it is. When you open a Gemara, there's no punctuation. There's no, you're not given any clue. You have no clues. You, you, you have to read from context and figure out from clues exactly what's going on from within the sugya. So you, sometimes you can have something that you see as a question. Sometimes you put the comma in a different place and it changes the whole meaning of what you're reading. And sometimes it's just a matter of being, being able to pull out the idea that's below the surface to be able to really understand what's going on. You have to really fit it into a context and you have to be able to extrapolate in a lot of information. So you have two people that have different ideas. Each person, the way you, you know, it's like, think of a boggle board, right? You know, you know how it is. You look at bo- a boggle board. You see so many different words. Everybody's looking at the exact same bo- board. And this person has 10 words like this. And this person has 10 words like that. And you didn't even see those words. And they were all right there, right in front of you. Every person sees things differently. That's just the way it is. If you're having a conversation with somebody, a debate with somebody, right, especially if it's meaningful, and you're looking for, you're a real mavakesh sa'emes, you're really looking for the truth. So if you're going to express your opinion and your partner is going to express his opinion, and now you're going to take a stand for your opinion, what happens is this, you become invested in your own opinion. And then even if you know you're wrong, you find yourself defending your opinion, even when you know you're not correct, even when you know... So the, the way around that is, is whenever an opinion is expressed, you always talk as though both of you have both opinions. I'll share. So we have two ways that we can look at this. We can either look at it like this or we can look at it like that. Not my way is this way and your way is as soon as it becomes my way and your way, we're fighting with each other and I'm defending my way. I'm not going to, I'm not, even if I'm a Mavakish Samus, if you truly want to remain somebody who is after a Bikosha Emes is searching for the truth, then you have to remain objective. Don't get invested in your own opinion. It looks to me like this, but what's your opinion? I want to hear what you have to say. I want to hear how you express it. If a person does that, a person is open to hearing something from somebody else. Um, if something is, is clear that, you, that, that um, what you have to do, especially if it's something that's negative, don't, don't, don't assume it to be that, that, that way. Rabbi Rukham points out that that's, of course, true if it's something that's negative. When it's something that's positive, you should express it as something. It's, it's, it's important to express positive ideas as being something that is absolute. But when it comes to negativity, like, like, like something that's tummy, something that's impure, it looks to me like it's a nega. I think that's a nega. But it goes one step further than that. <clears throat> it, says, uh, it says in the same... In the same parsha, right, a little, just a little bit earlier in Parsha's Mitzvah, the pasuk says, "Nega tsaras." If you have a tsaras blemish, a a, le- leper, le- a, 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 ble- a leprosy blemish, If you see it in a person, v'huva el you should bring it to the kohen to take a look at it. So the Gemara, the Mishnah says as follows: The Mishnah says, 
Kol Hanagayim, all blemishes, Adam Roach Roach. A person has a right to examine them and make a judgment about them. Chutz Minige Asma, except for blemishes that are on himself. And similarly, Kol HaBechoros, anytime a person wants to assess whether or not an animal is supposed to be brought as a carbon on the Mizbeach, or supposed to be brought as a sacrifice in the Holy Temple, or it can be given individually to the Kohen, if it's not his own, he has a right to look at any animal that he wants. As long as he has the qualifications and the education to do so, he can do that. But on his own, he shouldn't look at his own things. The simple, the simple understanding of that is, is that when it, on my own stuff, I'm biased about my own stuff. So therefore, you know, you, you don't you don't want to be paskening, you don't want to be deciding, making halachic decisions about your own things, because every person has their own has their own biases, has their own has their own ultimately their own self-interest at heart, as good as a person might be, and it's hard to do that. But there's another implication of this that's a little bit deeper. Listen carefully. Kol hanagayim, all blemishes, Adam roe, a person can see. Chutz, except for nige atzmo, except for his own blemishes. We're very quick to see all the problems in everybody else. But when it comes to seeing problems in ourselves, we're blind to them. We can't even see them. It can be obvious to the whole world that I have a certain flaw, that I have a certain character trait that's, prob- that's problematic, that I have a certain attitude that bothers people. But to me, I'm blind to it. I don't see it. Call the guy, all, all blemishes, other moral person can see. Chutz, except for Nige Asma, his own personal blemishes. The personal blemishes are very, very hard to see. It's the only way you do that is you need to have somebody who you trust. You need to have somebody who has your best interests at heart, who's going to look at you and critique you and criticize you and inform you of the mistakes you might have made and tell you when you do things wrong. They say, the Chidush Harim, the Chidush Harim <clears throat> was, the, was the first Gera Rebbe. He belonged to a Hasidus originally when he was born. He was born into a Hasidus called Kajnitz. In that time, in, in Poland, in the, early, in, the early, in the early 1800s, there was a huge split in the Hasidim. There were the Hasidim that were very, um, very into um, connection and, and, uh, and uh, um, what's the right word for it? They were very, they were very spiritual and spiritually minded, and they and they sang, and there was a lot of kavana, and there was a lot of dvekus of feeling connected to God, etc. <clears throat> and then set in at about that time a counterculture to that, a sort of a, a it was sort of the Hasidus had gone to a very far extreme in terms of their um, seeking of dvekus, their seeking of connection and the need to be um, spiritually transcendent and, and that type of thing. And the reaction to it was a group that was called Pshischa, which was much more fundamentalist in their approach. They were very strict about halacha, very strict about limud et etc. The, the outgrowths of Pshischa, Pshischa itself is no longer around, but the outgrowth of Pshischa is, 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 was the, was, the um, was Kutsk, and from Kutz came Sakachov and Ger and Alexandre. Those are all the outgrowth of that sort of branching off, that split within Hasidus. The split itself 
got pretty bad and got pretty nasty and pretty ugly. The history of it's fascinating, not for now, but they, the, where they, <clears throat> they, they, the one group tried to have the other group expelled from under the umbrella of what was called Hasidus. Um, but but the, so the Chidush Arim belonged to Kajnitz, which was of the more, we'll call them the tame variety of Hasidus. And he moved over to Pshischa to become part of the firebrands. He became, he moved over, he left the Rebbe, the Kajnitz Rebbe, and he went over to, he went over to the Rebbe of Pshischa, Rebbe Simcha Bunim of Pshischa, and later he followed, he followed the Kotzka Rebbe, and ultimately became the, he himself founded his own Hasidus, became, became the Ger Rebbe. But, um, but when he left, so in his lifetime, <laughs> his name was also Rebbe Simcha Bunim, in his lifetime, he lost 10 children. Chidush Arim lost 10 children. They died in, they predeceased him, including the father of the Sfasemes. And many, he had, he had 10 children who died before him. And he used to say, he used to say that the reason why my children predeceased me was because I insulted the Rebbe of, of Kaj, the Kajnitz Rebbe when I left him. Because I left the Kajnitz Rebbe and I went over to Ribsim Chabunim of Shizra, and I went over to the enemy camp, so the quote unquote enemy camp. That's why, that's why I lost him. But if I had to do it again, the Chidush Arim said, I'd do it again. He said, an unbelievable statement. He said, why? He says, because when I was in Kajnitz, the Rebbe loved me and he put me on a pedestal and he told me how great I was and what an amazing person, what a tremendous Tamachakam and how I was going to be a future Gadol Hadar. And when I went over to Reb Simcha Bunim Shiska, he knocked me down and he told me I was a Balgaiva, that I was arrogant. And he told me that I needed to work on myself and I needed that. I don't need, I didn't need anyone to tell me how great I was. I needed somebody to tell me, to put me in my place and to tell me who I really, who, who I really needed to be. By the way, in his lifetime, he had, he had, he had, he had an entire Shulchan, so they say over that he rewrote the, the entire Shulchan Aruch. He had a commentary on the entire Shulchan Aruch that he never published because Reb Simcha Bunim told him it's full of gaiva. It's full of arrogance. It shows you that show you the, in, in your writing and in your style of writing comes through a certain arrogance and it's not good for your character and you can't publish it and he never published it. It's an unbelievable, it's an unbelievable thought that somebody could be so whatever that he, to write a, a, such a, a phenomenal work and, and never publish it. It's just, it's, it's unbelievable. Anyway, but the, the point is the, even great people have somebody that's that's their checks and balances. There's somebody that's going to say to them, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. You have to hold yourself back. If you want to succeed, if we want to succeed, if we want to grow, if we want to be people that that are avoid Lashonara and avoid what Lashonara brings, the isolation and the negativity and the destruction that Lashonara brings, we have to be willing to work on ourselves. We have to be not so sure of every opinion that we have that it's that it is the absolute truth we have to be willing to accept criticism and critique and most of all we have to not talk about other people we have to be willing we have to find a way to talk about ideas and not talk about people and not 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 look at what others are doing and find find limitations of others but rather seek out our own limitations and work on those, and ultimately that can develop us into the kind of human beings that we really want to be. Okay. The Neshama should have an Aliyah, and everybody should have a wonderful Shabbos. Thank you. Have a good Shabbos. Thank you. Thank you. That was very beautiful.